really, this week is, is sort of the week where we transition uh, to, to feeling like, okay, we're, we're wrapping up. It really is beginning to come to a close. It really is uh, like Paul, go, he's saying things that make you go, okay, you can see him start to make that transition to the ending, kind of like at 10 minutes after 12 when I tell you that I'm going to be done in 15 minutes. You know how that works? Okay. Which is why, you know, Paul seems to start to close and then he continues to start to close and um, uh, he, he's working out that ending. But here we're going to get some really good and really helpful things from Paul as he, uh, over the next uh, chapter and a half, is wrapping this up. Of course, for him, it wasn't a chapter and a half. For him, he was just closing a very long letter. Um, but let's uh, let's hear God's word. I'm going to start reading in Romans 15 and verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power and signs of by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of God. I myself am satisfied about you. It's a weird way to put it, isn't it? I myself am satisfied about you. It's maybe somehow it just comes across a little bit odd in our English translation, but they're trying to convey this as best as they can as they translate this into English so that we get the idea. Paul is satisfied about concerning the Roman Christians, the Roman church. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So he now says, here's why I'm satisfied about you. I'm satisfied because you are full of goodness. You know what it's like, right? You're at your job and you have this person who's always doing their job well. They're always looking out for other people. They're not always gossiping about you. They're not, they're just, they're just good workers. You know what that looks like, right? You know what it doesn't look like. Am I right? You, yeah, you guys, you guys have seen the other side of that, right? I wasn't looking at you, Bob, particularly as, as if you were the bad example or something. Um, I happen to be looking right at you. So, uh, but You guys have seen both examples of that. And maybe in your own lives, you have been one or both example. Maybe you've had that time where 
know, you're sort of not pulling your weight and you're just kind of skating by and, and you're, you're just kind of hoping that nobody notices or nobody sees. And Paul says, and remember, Paul has not visited the Roman church. He hasn't been there. He didn't start it. He's writing to a people that he obviously knows, but he knows them from afar. Maybe some of them he has met and known because they've come to Jerusalem or he's seen them in other places. Maybe somebody has moved to Rome from somewhere that he has been. But in, in whatever sense, in whatever way, he does know them. And we know that after 15 chapters, he, he does to, to a certain extent. He is satisfied that they're full of goodness. That he knows their works. He knows their deeds. He knows the way that they live. He knows that they are being fruitful. He knows that they are in Christ being changed. That, they are, that He knows of their transformation. He knows of their lives. He knows of their families. He knows of reconciliations. He knows of things they're doing in their communities, in their neighborhoods. He hears these stories. One of the things that we don't do nearly well enough as a church is to tell each other stories, not just like, well, here's all of my background. I mean, that can be important, right? We, that's helpful, but to tell the stories that are, God is doing now, here are the things that we're actually doing now. And maybe we're not telling those stories because we don't have those stories enough. Maybe we, we're not experiencing them enough. Maybe we're not trusting in Christ enough. Maybe we're not obeying the spirit. As he speaks to us and guides us. And so we, we, we don't have those stories. Or maybe we're just, when we have them, we kind of share it with that, maybe that one person. And then we're like, okay, let's just, you know, let's move along. Let's not talk about it. How many times do I find out there's somebody who has pain, but they're not telling anybody that they have the pain. They're not telling anybody of their problems. They're not telling anybody, they're not sharing that as if we're somehow supposed to just kind of get through it on our own. Sometimes people who have things that they can praise God about, you know, something that a real answer to prayer or a, a real response to just some, some need that we've had, a, a real moment of comfort in the middle of the pain rather than just simply escape from it. And to, to say, I want to I tell everybody about this. This is, this is how God is real to me right now. It'd be helpful. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to do that in your community groups. I want to encourage you to, to do that among your friends. I want to encourage you to do that on Sunday mornings as you, you, you hang out together, you see each other. Stop talking about the weather and the bulls. I mean, you know, we talk about those things. I talk about those things. I'm saying it's bad to talk about. I'm not saying don't have an, an icebreaker question that has absolutely no real meaning in the world, whatever. But get somewhere. Get somewhere so that somebody can walk away. And can be telling those stories beyond just you and them. You can, you know, I mean, not by name necessarily. I just, you know, to be able to go, this is what God is doing. And, and in recent weeks, I've had some of those stories as some of you have shared things with me. And then I go and I say, oh, look at God's done this and God has done that. Some days I call up my, my good buddy Joe and I just say, just listen to what's happened. Listen to the things that God is doing. And it's just, it's an encouragement. And so, you know, it's, in a way, he'd be able to write something like this. 
as he hears about things happening at Doxa and the things that God is doing. I'm satisfied that you're full of goodness. Not fully good, like not sinful, okay? I mean, don't take it wrong. But that there are many great things that God is doing through you. You're full of goodness. You're fruitful. Filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Isn't that interesting? I mean, isn't that helpful? And, and yet, isn't it convicting? How many of you would feel like you could have this said about you? That you're full of knowledge, the knowledge of God. You know, to, to, to be a Christian is essentially the best word to describe that is a disciple or a learner. It, it is someone who walks with someone else. And who watches their life and who hears their words of instruction. Sounds a lot like the people who follow Jesus, right? Who we call those early disciples or the, 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 the apostles specifically. But you got to remember, when we talk about Jesus, when you go read the stories of Jesus, notice he doesn't just have apostles. The apostles are the, the twelve, but then there's all these other disciples. He doesn't just have the apostles. He has multiple disciples beyond just those uh, original twelve and so we are to be those disciples, those learners. And if we are those learners, we'll be filled with all knowledge. Some of you have just decided, I'm just, there are things I'm not going to be able to know. And so I'm just going to depend on everybody else to know it. Or I'll say, oh, there's some, I, somebody needs a question answered. I'll send them to that person. And in some ways, that's, that's a part of my role as your pastor is to be someone who can know those answers, know where to turn. But it's not simply to just give you the answers. It's also to, to teach you how to learn on your own. I mean, even as I just, I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking about this as I said it, but as I was talking about how I read through Romans the first time, it, this is not complicated. You have a Bible, you open it up, and you systematically read something. It's not complicated, Right? Uh, it's like uh, it's like the guy who I I learned from who taught um, certain ways to pray. Like if you don't know if you don't know how to remind yourself to pray for certain things, then make lists of prayers or put people on prayer lists that have to do with the rhythms of your life. So if you're housewife and you cook dinner every night, maybe you have a cooking dinner list. I'm, I'm over the stove instead of just looking at the dinner. Now you know don't give your family salmonella or something, you know, because you're not paying attention. Oh, I was, I was interceding, and that's why the lemon chicken doesn't taste like lemon or chicken anymore. <laughs> it tastes like charcoal. Um, but, you know, find, find those things. And then, so, so just, this is the, the kind of language I'm trying to use more and more with you guys, is there's, you already have rhythms of your life, and I just build things into those rhythms. Rather than to create you know, these, these weird rhythms that don't fit with life build things into the normal rhythms that you already have. Uh, for example, I, was, uh, I, I have a friend um, who is a high school friend. He was my best friend for a while in high school. And uh, we don't really see each other, but, you know, we keep in touch a little bit, like through Facebook and just kind of little stuff, very rare. But um, the other day he wrote uh, on Facebook and he said, uh, by the way, 10 years ago, that would sound really weird in a sermon, wouldn't it? The other day on Facebook, and my friend said, like, what? What are you talking about? AOL chat room, what? Um, sorry, dial up. Uh, 
so, so he says that his son said, who invented numbers? And of course, I said God, because it's the, four, the fourth book of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, and, uh, and so I, I just, I really got thinking about it. I mean, I, you know, it's one thing to go, what human devised some numerical system or whatever? Uh, what's the first thing we do when our baby is born? Count their fingers and their toes. Why? You, you want them all to be there. That, that's, a, that's a form of normalcy, right? It's not because you need to remind yourself how to count again. <laughs> right? I guess you, you should be all right. Um, what is, uh, let, me, let, me, let me say it this way. As, he's, as he asked this question, and, you know, I said a funny answer, just to, you know, be funny. And, and, uh, and I got really thinking about it, and I thought, okay, when God gives, when God gives commandments to the people of Israel, how many does he give? Right? When we first think of the commandments, how many do we think of? How many fingers do you have? How many toes do you have? If you're going to go and take money to the store and you're going to shop for something, it's going to be used with what denominations of money? You got pennies that are going away, right? They're, they're eventually going away. And you go, what, five, a nickel, then a dime, right? And then you got a quarter, which is five fives. You see what I'm saying? You got 50 cent pieces, you've got dollars, everything starts to work in fives. I don't, I don't think it's an accident that we have 10 fingers and 10 toes. I'm not saying, you know, but, and I don't think it's an accident that God gives 10 commandments. And the real question is, which came first? The fingers and toes or the commandments? All right, chicken and the egg. Here we go. Go think about that one over lunch. Over chicken, okay? Get some chicken and then consider that one. But that we have, we have things. God's given us things. I, I, don't, I think the reason he gives Ten Commandments is so that you can go to your kids. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And you can memorize the Ten Commandments. Boom. Right? It, it, isn't that the easiest, isn't that a nice way for God to put it? What I'm going to give the centerpiece of the, for the people of Israel of these Ten Commandments, which we still today would obviously say are, are still a part of what we need to know and obey. We have these ten. It's a form of instruction. It's a tool. And so we talk about these rhythms. We talk about learning. We talk about being people who could be called filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Some of the best things you can do is pass along those things. You know, take the rhythms of your life and add those as prayer lists. Take the, take the rhythms of your life and add those as learning times. Our, our family right now is when you wake up and when you go to bed. That's when you read the scripture. That's when you, you have your prayer time. You know, it's, it's sort of a, it, it's built into the rhythm of the day. And so as the day ends, some of you have been to our small group and we tell the, you know, the kids are downstairs or doing whatever, playing, and, and then we yell for them to come up. And then as they come up, they'll go get their pajamas on, and then all of a sudden they're dragging out their giant you know, ESV student study Bibles. Anybody notice that? That's been to our house. And they drag them out, and they've got a sheet of paper that they get off of the fridge, and it says, here's the readings. And they're all opening them up, and they've got their little journals, and they're writing their answers, and they're doing their things. It's a part of the rhythm. At first, it was telling them every time, you know, do it. And to be honest, I'm probably the worst in the family at keeping up 
uh, with, with doing it as regularly as they do it, but they are just now it's becoming this natural thing and it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's built into that rhythm and that is creating in them all knowledge that they are learning to be those disciples, those learners, those, those people who have that as a pattern in their life so that they will be able to instruct one another. So notice this does not say Hey, the Roman church has, has built up some great leaders who have knowledge of the Bible and who have been to the school in Alexandria and, you know, the seminary there and have, have studied the scrolls, you know, and they've read all the great thinkers and, and they go and do continuing education at conferences. This, this says, he is satisfied about you, the church as a whole, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. You if this was being written about our church, this is written to you, that you are able to instruct one another, that you are able, that you are able, it is, it is your job to be able to be capable, not to have infinite knowledge of every biblical problem. Uh, I was leading the youth group uh, a few weeks ago, and, and I just, I said to all the youth, I just said, okay, um, just ask me anything. And of course they don't go, tell me how clearly to say the gospel in the shortest period of time possible. That's a great question. You know what they ask? What obscure problem that won't matter for life can I ask about from some biblical passage? Right? Isn't that what we do? Like, like one of the great questions is how, how powerful is God? Isn't that a great question? How powerful is God? And then the philosophers come up with the question, could God... Is God so powerful that he could lift a rock too big for him to lift? Brilliant. When you come up with the answer for that question, you will have all knowledge. And you'll be able to instruct one another. I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some things we can learn by asking questions like that. But do we really come up with the kinds of answers that we need? We need to be asking the, the best questions about those central things. And so as, as they would ask questions, I would say, okay... You know, that's a fine question. It's something that we would like to know, and can we know that? So we said, so we, okay, and then so that we started to tie it together into other things. And then suddenly we're talking about the flood, and we're talking about the judgment of God. And, where, you know, what happens? How, how does God help people escape through the flood? Well, he tells Noah. He's got somebody who's righteous, and he's going to save his family, and he's going to repopulate the earth through Noah, right? And they're, they're answering all these things. They're giving this information, okay? So that's, what is, what is the new and true and better ark? It is Jesus, right? The flood is not just the flood. It's the judgment of God upon sin. And the ark is not just a boat, but it is the means of escape from the judgment of God. And then we, we went back and we started talking about you know, Passover. So you've got the plagues, right? You've got all this stuff coming. And now there's this last plague and it's going to be all the firstborn are going to be killed by the angel of God. It's a judgment upon Egypt. But the Israelites are there too, and they will suffer the same thing unless something happens. What has to happen? The sacrifice of a lamb and the blood, right? Blood painted on the doorposts of the house. And then the angel of God will pass over that house and not bring the judgment of God. Who is the true and better lamb? Jesus. It's not complicated, right? 
I mean, these are those, but that's what we have to do. That's what you have to do with your, with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with your neighbors, is as they bring up these things, you need to be able to take these, these wonderful stories of God, these, these true stories of how God has worked. He's always done the same thing. This is what you've got to get about God. He's always done the same thing. God is a repeat offender of the same thing. He doesn't come up with new storylines. God doesn't go, okay, well, this, this one I'm going to end in a sad way. Right? It's like we, you watch those movies, and you get to the end, and all of a sudden it's like the bummer ending. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm walking away from this movie not feeling so good. I mean, the acting was great. The story was interesting. I was really into it, and all of a sudden at the end, I'm like, this is a bummer. Everybody dies? Really? Why did I watch that? And, and then you go, what's God's story? Every time. We're hopeless and need escape, and God brings escape. Whether it's the lamb and blood on the doorposts, or whether it's the ark through the flood, or whether it's God parting the waters, right? That east wind that blows, and the waters are, become walls on the side, and they pass through the Red Sea on dry ground. And so that's, that's always the story. And so this is how we become filled with all knowledge as we tell each other these stories and we work on these stories. We, we know the story. So that we're not just going, every time somebody has a question, we're not just answering in some sort of systematized pulling together of everything, which is the way we tend to study things, is we tend to, we tend to go themes. But think about it. In the sermons that I preach what do you remember the most do you remember the points that i make and exactly the way that i word all my points if i make points and how i do it do you remember those application questions at the end and they just ring in your ears or do you walk away saying it had something to do with jesus and that one story about Elijah trying to make that birthday cake for Molly in which he dropped it on the floor and blah, blah, blah. And, the, and there's something that's there and it just sticks with you. And it's because we're made for stories. We are. We're built, we're built to remember things that way. And so we need God's story to be told and retold and retold. It's why when we go through scripture, everything is either uh, telling a story or it's discussing some aspect of or response to a, a part of a story happening, an experience, a life happening. If, if I were to ask you about your life, you wouldn't say, well, I've got these 10 things that I'm really about. You probably wouldn't say that unless you're Stephen Covey or something, you know, and here's my whatever. But you would say, here's, here's my story. Here's where I was born. Here's where I was raised. Here's what life was like. Here's what happened to me when I was in high school. Here's what happened to me when I was in college. Here's what happened to me when God came into my life at whatever particular age. Here's what happened. And you would start to go through and tell that story. So we need to be doing that over and over. That's what happens every week. When I, when I, when I preach, one of the things I always try to make sure, and it's, it's usually there in the Lord's Supper as well, and so that sometimes in my sermons I... I realize it's, it's already been there, and so I just sort of tie it together with things I've already said. But I'm, I'm essentially retelling the story every week. It's just the gospel. My preaching, if you're looking for, like, variety of, of, of life points 
It should tend to get boring, other than it just comes up in Scripture. But it shouldn't be boring to those who hear the gospel and who are absolutely invigorated in the fact that God loved us this much and has done this much for us and is doing now, because of the gospel, that much through us. So the gospel should be not just the centerpiece as an idea, but it should also be the story. The last couple of times I've done membership interviews for our church, uh, and I'm going to pick on you guys, not pick on, but praise, um, the, both the Samandals and, and Belinda's. We've done membership interviews. I've said, okay, explain the gospel to me just as, as briefly as you can. And when I tend to do that, I tend to go, God, you know, made everything, and then we sinned, and then sent Jesus, and then, you know, one day after... You know, he comes back, he's going to change everything and make it all right. And that's true. That's the, that's the gospel, right? And that's sort of the, the big story. Um, but at its core, the gospel is because of sin, God sent his son into the world. He was born of a virgin, and then he lived his life, and then he was baptized, and, and the Holy Spirit came, and then he, for three years, and it was like, wow, that's just, like, I just didn't expect that. I expected something a little bit simpler and a little bit more choppy. But they just, they just told the story of Jesus. Like, this is just, that's it. And so as you go into the world and tell people the gospel, whether it's one person or a thousand people at a time, you're essentially needing to go through the story. Now, you can go to that. It's often helpful to go all the way back to creation, right? Because people don't get how many people today are trying to describe sin as righteousness. They've redefined it in society and culture so that things that we would describe as sin, people are working their rear ends off to legalize. You, you get what I'm saying? You, you can think of examples of things like that. And so that's the way society's going. Society doesn't want to feel bad, so society has to make bad good. Now, what we do is we say, no, we, we can say what's bad. We can really understand the bad. And so you go back to creation, you understand the fall. People need to be taught again how bad they are. That doesn't mean you just slam people. You're not going in order to make them feel bad as if that makes you feel better. Oh, they feel bad. <laughs> I feel really good because they feel bad. And right now they're miserable. <laughs> you know, like, wh who does that? You pirates? You know, you know, take some booty or something. Anyway, um, yeah, you can't use that word anymore. Jeez, Beyonce. So, um, isn't it Beyonce? I don't remember. Whatever. Uh, I'm on the first verse. That's not good. Um, <laughs> I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. That, that doesn't seem like a verse you're going to underline and highlight and pull out and, and paste and you know, put in 40-point like, font on a piece of paper and then print it out and then stick it on your door. Right? That's not what you're going to typically do with this verse, but maybe you should because it is a picture of what we should be together is a people who are, as we read in Micah, what does God require of us? Do you remember that? What he has told you, man, what is good? Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Micah these are the words of the Lord through Micah. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, we, we understand that this is a prophecy, and it's given at a certain time to a certain people. And so we might say, well, is that, is that good enough? Are you saying you don't have to like, 
know Jesus or know the gospel? I mean, does that fulfill that? Well, of course. Of course, we're not going to say you don't have to do those other things. But the point is, is this is what those who know God, and now we would say through Christ, um, those who know God, this is what faithfulness looks like. This is what goodness looks like. Not because you are perfectly good, but because this is the now the inclination of your heart. This is the, the, the direction of your life. And so we should be those who are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct each other. This is why we don't, we don't say, well, it's not really important that we gather together where we can have dialogue. There's a reason to have monologue, because God speaks and we need to listen. And that's why we open up the scriptures every week, and, and I preach it to you, is so that we just hear the words of God. But then we need to be able to take those things and, and other things and, and, and then discuss them together and, and work out the implications of those things together. What does that look like where we live now? How do we actually do that? Now let's actually make a plan to go do that. When's the last time you met together with Christians and you said, let's actually make a plan to go do that? I remember several years ago, um, after coming to this church, I was meeting with somebody and, and we were like, oh, this is a great thing to do. I said, okay. So let's, let's create some action steps. Let's, how are we going to go do that? And they went, oh, but, you know, this is great, and this is really, and oh, I just really love the idea of this. And I'm like, okay, now how do we go do that? Let's go do it. So let's throw some ideas out there, write them down, and then actually go and enact those things. Let's make them happen. What do we do? What do I do tomorrow in order to make that happen and that be a reality in two weeks? What do I do tomorrow to start that process going? When's the last time you asked yourself that? When's the last time you heard something in a sermon and said, wow, I really need to do this. So I need to sit down at some point and sort of meditate on the idea of I need to, like I've been bringing up prayer, I need to, I need to pray more. I, I'm, I'm just not depending upon the Lord in prayer. I'm sort of taking him for granted. And I'm really convicted of that this morning because of something I heard in the sermon or something I read in the scriptures or something that God just, you know, is sort of made me realize. And so now I'm going to actually do something about it. Um, but I, I taught you uh, the question a couple weeks ago after uh, coming back from Tacoma, Washington and, and having this question posed to me. It was just really helpful is to just simply ask the Holy Spirit, what's next? I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. And I'm done with this now. Now what do I do? Instead of just going, okay, I'm just going to only make plans on a, on a piece of paper and I'm going to fill in all the blanks so that there's no margin in my life. What's, what's actually next? What, what should I do? Have you ever been doing something and you just right in the middle of it go, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy doing this and all, but I really feel like I should be doing something else. You ever have that feeling? And then you, you spend all your time trying to talk yourself out of it because what you're doing is fun. So what we need to do is go, what's next? We need to always be saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm apt to want to do my things. I want to do your things. So ask him, what are his things? Now, his things are going to be most clearly known through his word. The, the Holy Spirit actually comes to remind us of the words of Jesus. And so if, God, if you ask God, what's next? And in your mind you go, axe murder. Probably not from God, unless your name is Abraham and your son's name is Isaac, okay? Probably not from God. And even then, God didn't have him do it, right? He didn't follow, he didn't follow through. Um, so 
you, you need to go, okay, what's next? But that means what's next in that life of goodness and growing in all knowledge and instructing one another? What's next from, from what I know that God has taught, okay? That's verse one. Let's move faster. <clears throat> but at some points, I have written to you very boldly. Isn't that true in Romans? Isn't that true? And Paul has written very boldly at certain times. And that needs to happen. We need to be able to teach certain things boldly. Paul, it's, it's, um, yeah, Paul is the one who is, is accused, right, of being very bold when far away, but then when he's face-to-face, he's much more meek. I mean, isn't that actually how we should be, right? And, and that we should have this, this sort of humility in front of people, real, treating them as better than ourselves. But when we sort of have this moment of speaking on behalf of God, sometimes we need to be very bold. And so that's what Paul really says. By it's, at some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. In other words, I, I can't just be bold on my own. I, mean, I can be, but I'm going to do something stupid. But when I'm bold to you about the truth, it's because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So this is his platform, okay? I'm a minister, uh, I'm doing this priestly service, right? What does a a priest do in the Old Testament? Sacrifice, the offering, right? Okay, is the mediator, is the, here's all the people of God, the priest is now sort of acting on behalf of all the people at one time, to God. That's, that's sort of the, just really briefly and uh, not fully explained priestly kind of function. Um, the, the priestly service that Paul does is the priestly service of the gospel of God in that he is now, he has this gospel of God and he now is the one who God is using to bring the gospel to others. The priestly service is not to bring the sacrifice. Sacrifice is over. The priestly service is now Helping out each other. In, in, in other words, to go back to the verse 14, we are doing a priestly service because we're able to instruct one another. I need to grow in knowledge because I have a priestly duty. We're a kingdom of priests now. And so we have this priestly duty in order to instruct one another. But Paul has this specific apostolic ministerial uh, duty to go to the Gentiles and have this priestly service of the gospel of God. In other words, he is to be that living sacrifice because the death sacrifice has happened. So he has the living sacrifice of being the one who proclaims the gospel of God of the Gentiles so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Okay, now get this. So the Gentiles are, you got the Jewish people who have the Old Testament and then they hear about Christ and some believe and some don't. Some, some accept that this is the promised Messiah that was always promised. You know, way back to Eve when the first sins came, right? The seed of Eve and then, and then the promise. You've got the, the one who's going to come in the throne of David. You've got the promise that the world, the nations will be blessed through the seed of Abraham. And so you have these promises. They all come together in Christ. And now they not only have come to the Jews, but now they go to the Gentiles. So that means the rest of the world. The Gentiles aren't like the people of a certain nation. It's the rest of the world. Okay? And now we, or specifically here Paul, is to go and to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and he, he does it, he does this priestly service of the gospel, preaching to them, so that 
the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. In other words, that the Gentiles, as the offering, are the living sacrifices. Paul, not only in his priestly service, is the living sacrifice, uh, you know, a living sacrifice to God and, and ministering and giving the gospel, but when he gives the gospel and instructing them, the purpose is that they not just become Christians, but they become his people together so that all of them will now be an offering to God as a living sacrifice to go to the rest of the world with the gospel in order to do what? To preach the gospel in order to bring more people to know Jesus so that they will become what? Living sacrifices. The wonderful work of God to do through one to the next to the next to the next. It is how multiplication happens. And so we need to realize when we don't see growth and multiplication in a local church or in the church in general or whatever, that we are the ones who are responsible to be prepared in order to be able to go and to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So Paul does this so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable as, as converts who are growing in discipleship, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There isn't any salvation apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't just have people make decisions. They have to have their hearts changed that actually create those decisions, right? Something has to be different about them. If there is not a, a real sorrow over sin, if there is not a real excitement over the gospel, a real joy in that God has accepted me even though I don't deserve it, if those things aren't there, they're not Christians. It's just, it's just the case. To become a Christian doesn't mean this seems like a great path for a while. It doesn't mean, oh, sure, 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 I give my life to Jesus. That's fine. We'll be buddies. It means something is so radically changed that you hate your sin and you love God for accepting you because of Christ and not because of you. So we're sanctified in the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, verse 17, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Oh, danger zone, Paul. Watch yourself now, Mr. Arrogant, right? Yeah, be careful here. Doesn't this sound like, ooh, that, would I say that? In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Aren't we supposed to not be proud? Aren't we supposed to not be arrogant? Doesn't that seem like weird and kind of silly? Well, no. In Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God for, what did I tell you? Most important word in Scripture. For. For. Oh, this is dangerous, Paul. Look how proud you are. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished. Isn't that great? Man, I'm really proud of the work I've done in God because he's done everything. So where's the pride? In Christ. Who's he boasting in? He's boasting in Christ, not himself. He realizes that Christ is using him, but he realizes he's just a vessel, which is why his his boasting is in Christ and his work through him and what Christ has accomplished to bring the Gentiles to obedience. You see that? To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed so that they do that, that goodness, right? You yourselves are full of goodness. By word and deed, what they say, what they do, by the power of signs and wonders in that the gospel is not just proclaimed, but it is given in, in power. How many of you have heard somebody try to sell you something before and they try to make it sound really amazing and they use really clever speech and then they show you how the knife actually cuts through shoe leather and you go, 
is that really shoe leather? That looks like a glorified cardboard. You ever, you ever seen that demonstration? Okay, anybody go to Sam's? There we go. Um, or, you know, I mean, that's, and there's, I mean, there's great stuff too. I want a juicer. Anybody want to buy me one? Give me a juicer. I'd love a juicer. Um, but, uh, you know, that I don't ever stand there and, and watch it and, and watch the knife demonstration, stuff like that. But you hear, you hear these people trying to convey something, but then all of a sudden you see that thing do something amazing. Get away from Sam's. Now let's just focus on, on the signs and wonders. When, when Paul comes and he preaches, but then you start to see not only like there's healing still happening through the apostles. It doesn't just happen through Jesus. It also happens to the apostles. We often talk about how Jesus comes and, and, and he can heal because he's God. But what do the apostles do? The this, this same thing. Why? The spirit of God that was in Christ is in us. Where have we stopped believing that we can... Oh, I did that last week. So... To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Notice the power is brought up twice of the Spirit of God. Not just in word and deed that things are done, but that there's power that comes. When the gospel comes, it comes with power. It is God's stamp. Right? It is God's stamp. This is mine. And so we should pray um, that as we as we tell the gospel, I remember being in, uh, in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, I probably told you the story before, but there was a, uh, it was, it was a hotbed of weirdos. And, um, and I, when I mean weirdos, I mean all, I mean just every kind of everything out there. And I love weirdo culture. I really, really dig it. You know, all the, like, keep Austin weird or keep Louisville weird or keep whatever. There's certain areas of different towns where it's just everything's weird. Like, I like the weird places. You know, I'm in Woodstock. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's got its own weird, but it's not, it's not that weird in comparison to some of these other things. So, um, it, it, there's, there was a guy, is an Australian guy, and he's, he's pushing his baby stroller, right? And he's pushing it along, and, uh, sorry, that's probably more British. So, but he's pushing it, and, uh, and so there's these guys, and, and, and there's already a discussion happening about the gospel between a bunch of this, this homeless community and me and some other people. And this guy walks in, and he starts to have a conversation with a certain element of it. And they're like, they're like you want to prove God? You want to prove God? Why don't you do a miracle right now, and you can prove it. He says, I'll show you a miracle. Get on your knees and pray, and God will save your cold, stony heart and make it into flesh. A miracle will happen right now. And that doesn't mean that that's the only kind of miracle that will happen, that God doesn't bring other things to happen. But we have to believe, we have to believe that the power of God is still at work. If we, if we try to do it, we won't do it. But it's the power of God is the stamp. It's the, it, it's the real McCoy, right? You, you get what I'm saying? It, it, it's, it shows what's real. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, man, look how fast I said that word. You guys are still trying to figure out how to say it. I'm probably saying it wrong. But I just, you know, say it fast so I look like I'm really smart. So that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, and if you look in the back of your Bibles and try to look, you know, kind of where the missionary journeys of Paul and stuff, you'll see Illyricum on there, which is, you know, uh, not quite to Italy. Um, and so he says, in all that places, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, does that mean every person's heard? Isn't that what it means to fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ? What does it mean? Here's what, he said, here's what he's meaning, I think. 
is he's saying, I have brought the gospel and planted churches in every strategic city in the area so that now the gospel will naturally flow everywhere. If, if I want to get a bucket of water from the top of a water slide to the bottom, I don't go along every inch of the water slide and apply water. I dump it and it goes. The gospel naturally flows from major cities outward because what else flows from major cities outward? Thomas, creativity, you know, arts. You want to go see the best arts? You don't go to the Woodstock Art Center. I mean, I'm not saying they're not. I'm not saying they're bad. That's not what I mean. Because I've had my pictures up at Starbucks in, in Woodstock, so I'm not trying to put that down. But I'm saying you want to see the, the best of art. You go to downtown Chicago, right? You go to the you go to the major art institutes and all of that, and then you see those beautiful things. And then what happens is, is somebody out in Woodstock goes, I, I want to do some art, so they might go in and city and take some classes. You know, I can tell my kids about Picasso, but then we go there and we see Picasso. And then some art students are there and they give them a piece of paper and they give them some oil pastel things and then they say, try to imitate Picasso. And so they did. And they're, they're right, you know, they're doing it. And I, I have video, we have an old video of this. Some of you have probably seen it. And, and the kids are sitting there and they're sitting in a chair and they're looking up at Picasso or whichever artist they were looking at. And they're down and they're trying to, they're trying to imitate it, you know, just in a 10, 15 minute period of time. I can't do that at the Woodstock Art Center, right? Am I right? And, I mean, I can go on the internet or something, but it's not seeing it. And so there's, there's, something, there's something about how the way God has created the world in which cities flow outward. And the, the suburbs and the rural areas are, the, the things get filtered out. And so Paul is saying that I planted those strategic cities and then this makes the evangelism of all the areas possible. Paul can't go to every person. He's one dude. He can go to the major areas and plant these churches, and then he, he's, he's done his job. That's his job. Now it's their job. He, he's, remember, he writes to Timothy, and he says, do what? Entrust to faithful, other faithful men the same things I taught you. He's just saying, now keep doing that, and it'll keep going out. Because now you're going to be in Jerusalem, right? You start, and you've got all these people, and that's like, well, we've got to go, we've go somewhere else. It's just all of us working in one place. Let's just keep taking it out. Let's keep taking it out. Let's keep going out. And thus I make it my ambition, it's his drive of life, to preach the gospel, he says in verse 20. Now where Christ has already been named, lest I should, be, uh, lest I should um, build on someone else's foundation. Sorry, I've got the wrong thing open. I've got to try to remember it from memory now. He doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation just simply because it's not his calling. It's not because it's, it's wrong. Like, oh, once somebody's already said something there, everybody else should shut up. Like, uh, nobody's called to that place. It's not more romantic or... Or, or the word people will use it's sexy to, to go and do that. It shouldn't be. It, but the point is, that's just not his job. He's the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he goes planting in these strategic, strategic cities, and then he leaves, and then he continues to encourage them through these letters. And he's even doing that to Rome, which he hasn't even started the church there. And so his ambition is to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named, because he'd be building on somebody else's foundation. That's not what he's supposed to do. But as it is written, and this is specific now because... The gospel has not hit certain places. Isaiah 52 says, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. And so the gospel flows out. It goes. Paul has taken and his job to get the gospel to all these places so that it will continue to spread. You know, he's, he's gotten the virus there and now the virus is going to spread. 
and it's a good virus, right? And, and so this is his work, and in, to a certain extent, to a certain place, he has fulfilled that job, is what he is saying to the church in Rome. Who are you supposed to reach? What, what is God giving you the power, and, and he is, to do, to speak to, to tell about Jesus? He has and will empower you to do it. You can't do it without his empowerment. You can't do it without his spirit. So if you're hearing me and you're going, boy, that just seems absolutely impossible, you need to wonder whether you either believe in the spirit or have the spirit. Because the spirit of God is there to give you power. Just as he gave Jesus power, he's giving us power to go and to do this work. And so let me just ask, answer or, or uh, end with these questions. What is, through this passage, what is God saying to you? Maybe along the way, you've heard that. And I need all eyes up here now. Just stop, stop putting your stuff away and everybody kind of pay attention. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Seriously. What is God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to walk away and go have lunch? Or are you going to walk away saying, God has said something? I remember very distinctly a day when I went to a, a conference and I heard a guy talk about missionary to Muslims and I remember feeling God has just said that I need to go and be a missionary to Muslims. And so we need to contact our international mission board of the Southern Baptist Convention and get the process started of what would that, what would that mean? What do I need to do? I'm in seminary. Do I need to change the kind of classes I'm taking? And I did. I, I altered my, my classes. We got in touch with Benita, who was our contact with the IMB. And we started going through the process of preparing to go overseas as missionaries to Muslims. And I can give you the rest of that story of why we're not there and we're here, you know, talking to you every, every day. Every day you should be asking yourself that question. What is God saying to me? What am I supposed to do about it? What am I going to do? I want you to walk out of this room today and I want you to do something about it. Would you stand with me and pray with me as we close? God, you have spoken to your people through this um, writing of Paul as you have used him to write these words to the church in Rome. You are using these words to speak to us today here in Woodstock, Illinois, um, all the way around the world and and reminding us of what Paul's calling was and, and how he was to do that. But now you're reminding us that we have callings, that we, we are all as your people. If we are yours, we have been given your spirit. We have been given a, a purpose in this world. And so we are to go and to live out that purpose, which is to glorify Christ, to make him known. And we know you've said that to us. Maybe, maybe to different people in this room, you've, you've, You've given hints and pictures and you've pointed to certain things that have shown us maybe something that we need to think about doing, a place we need to think about going. Not like some short-term mission trip, but how we, what we need to do with our lives. People that maybe we need to talk to. People that we know that maybe we need to go and to have a, have a meeting with. Maybe we need to, to, to plan that this week. Maybe we need to send out an email as soon as we get home. Or make a phone call. And try to, try to make that contact. Take that story. Speak to us, Lord, and, and, and strengthen us through your spirit to respond to this great calling.
we have in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. God bless you.